Well, I want to uh, get started here. I want to thank you for those of you who've been uh, praying for our daughter Katie. She's having a rough go of it these days. So, appreciate you keeping her in your prayers. And uh, let's uh, let's start off with the word of prayer. Ask the Lord to to um, lead us into the truth this morning and in His Word, Father. We we come to you knowing that these are your words. We believe them to be true. We believe that they are alive and active and that by the power of your Spirit they speak into our life um, truths that, that transform us, that teach us, that reveal more of yourself to us and Lord, that, that challenge us, that deepen our faith and, uh, and that um, help to deepen our surrender to you and uh, help us to persevere through difficulties in life and to leave behind uh, things that you have called us out of and Lord we we just ask that you would speak to us today through your word to equip us to be the people that you've called us to be and we pray this in Jesus name amen we're going to look at Exodus chapter 33 today and uh, I don't know if you noticed but we're uh we're closing in on the end of Exodus now. Um, it's not going to happen next week, but uh, having said that, the, we're getting near the, the the finish line here in terms of Exodus, anyways. And and uh, I've been in, I've been enjoying it. There's a lot of good stuff in Exodus, and I've just really appreciated it. And you know, as we go through God's Word, uh, I, I don't get too bothered by how long it takes us to get through a book of the Bible because it's every bit His Word, whether we're in one book or another. Uh, and it all works together to reveal Him and His will and to direct our steps. And, uh, and so that's what we're resolved to do is to, to um, dig into it and, and have Him speak to us. And so we're going to look at Exodus chapter 33. And uh, I wanted to, to address the whole chapter here today, which is going to, uh, we're going to read, read through it and in little chunks kind of get summaries as we go through and then uh, a summary understanding of of. Uh, little nuggets of it, and then uh, there's there are some principles in here, truths in here that uh, that I think just that where God reveals something of Himself to us in our even in our context today, and uh, and, and truths about just how we're to live and think, and and so I want to after we go through the passage here, um, double back to to look at what those principles are that that we can. Um, plug and play in our own life here, and so let's let's look at uh, Exodus chapter thirty-three, verse one. Now, uh, I guess a little backdrop because we've taken a break from it for a couple of uh, weeks here. Um, that uh, Moses went and met with God, called Moses to meet with him on the mountain, and and Moses did, and. Um, and then towards the end of their meeting, God said, Moses, uh, you need to go back home. The people are going hog wild down there and they've started worshiping false gods and things that have just uh, gone in a really bad direction. And, and so he went down and, and indeed the people had, under Aaron's leadership, who was supposed to be the guy that kind of helped keep them uh, pointed towards Yahweh while Moses was absent, uh, under Aaron's uh, leadership under his watch there, they um, fashioned a, 
a calf out of gold and, and began to worship this calf and, and uh, proclaim that these are the gods that brought us out of Egypt and, and all the while just uh, a flat, out, uh, a flat out just denying that it was Yahweh who did all this. Uh, I mean, it was, it, was, uh, it was more than just a, a oops or a, a little moral failure. It was an outright slap in the face to the God who saved them. And, um, and so, it, it, and it was the, the people uh, at large that had, had participated in this. And so, so that's kind of, uh, we're on the heels of that as we go into chapter 33 here. And um, God had brought some punishment on, on the people, especially those who were the instigators of this. And um, so let's look at chapter 33, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. So what's, what's happening here is, as God speaks to Moses, he's saying, you know, I promised you, I promised, a, uh, I made a covenant with you to lead you into the promised land. So I want you guys to keep going, but instead of me dwelling among you as you go, my presence abiding with you, uh, I'm going to send a representative, an angel, and, but I'm not, I'm not going to be among you um, because it, it, you guys are, I'm just going to uh, smite you all is kind of how it reads. <laughs> um, this, and he says that you are a stiff-necked people. Which is to say that they're hard-hearted, stubborn, and obstinate. That no matter what God does for them, uh, they just are not faithful to Him. Uh, Their loyalty so quickly changes. Um, They forget all that He's done. And even though He continues to stress, remember, 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 and they continue to forget and uh, act as if it's not Yahweh who has led them out of uh, slavery in Egypt rescued them, led them through all kinds of uh, difficulties at this stage of the game in Exodus. And so he says, uh, you go, but uh, I'm not going to be with you. Well, when that word reaches the people's ears, look at verse 4, when the people heard this disastrous word, uh, which uh, they began to comprehend the effects of their rebellion against God. Um, they, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. Um, therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Now, uh, that, that, that uh, paragraph can sound a little bit weird, like what are these ornaments that everyone's wearing? Well, consider what has just happened. What did they make the golden calf out of? They collected their ornaments, their jewelry. 
and fashioned a golden calf. Now where did these ornaments come from? Where did this jewelry come from? It was plunder from Egypt. Uh, in fact, God blessed them with plunder from Egypt. As he, as he rescued them out of Egypt, if you go back and read, uh, they, they, he said, hey, go ask your neighbors for their stuff. And, and it wasn't like plunder by force. It was plunder by just asking. And the Egyptians handed it over and sent it with them. And so Israel came out of Egypt. As God saved them out of Egypt, they came with a lot of very valuable things, possessions from the Egyptians, um, which became a problem when Moses went up on the mountain and, uh, and then they collected, all the, all their, they collected a bunch of their jewelry, fashioned a golden calf out of it, things went really bad. And, um, and now here, what's happening is God says, uh, says to Moses that he's to tell them to take off their jewelry, that he may know what to do with them. In other words, this jewelry was, one, it was a reminder of the rebellion against God, their betrayal of Him. And two, it was a means of tying them back to that rebellion. So it wasn't just a reminder, but it, the, the physical nature of this gold, them continuing to wear it, it didn't celebrate that God had blessed them out of Egypt any longer. It just became a hindrance in worship because it was now associated with their rebellion and betrayal of God. What well, we see in the people where they're, what it seems the effect of, of the Word of God not going with them and, and all this, it says that it was a disastrous word for them and it says they removed their ornaments. They took off their jewelry. It was a, you know, when we, um, when we repent of our sin, uh, it is more than just, uh, uh, as uh, Susie said, uh, part, part, of, part of repentance is seeking forgiveness. Um, but repentance is not only seeking forgiveness. That is part of the package. It is having a sorrow over our sin, over our offenses against God. But then it is it, the, the nature of what repentance actually entails is a change of direction. So while forgiveness, seeking forgiveness is an important dynamic of that, um, it is a, there's more involved in repentance. It, it's a changing the way you're going. And um, it's a pivot. And it's leaving some things behind, forsaking some things, and moving towards other things. In this case, it is leaving behind, uh, separating themselves from the jewelry that continually uh, would remind them now of their rebellious hearts towards God. Of their worship of false gods. uh, Their betrayal of Him. And so this is a, uh, a representation here that, that, that gives us a, a picture of uh, repentant hearts at work here. Now, uh, the Bible talks about that there's fruit that comes from true repentance. We're encouraged to keep that fruit of true repentance. Um, there's sorrow over sin that leads to life. That is, it's... If you feel guilty when you sin, that actually is a good thing. To a point. Guilt and sin go hand in hand because we are guilty. 
that guilt is purposed, its purpose is found in leading us back to Christ. Directing us back to God. Like, like the discipline of a, of a parent, a loving parent, the discipline is meant to redirect the child back into a right way of acting, uh, thinking, whatever. And so, our guilt is to motivate us to repent, to give it back to God and to turn away from it. Um, once it's achieved that, guilt's purpose is done. The only purpose guilt has beyond that then is to bring condemnation and say you're not worthy of Him. You're, 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 you're just a, a disgusting human being that God uh, that is not worthy of God. And... Uh, and at that point, it becomes a tool in the hand of the enemy. So, here, guilt has had an effect on the people to cause them to have a repentant heart before Him and put away the jewelry that tied them to the sin that they had not too long ago committed here against Him. So we keep reading verse 7, Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off, from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. So we see the people exhibit a type of reverence here that would be in line with them having a repentant heart before God. Verse 11, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. That's astounding, especially at this point of of scripture that God speaks not just that he speaks to Moses but that we have in here that that God speaks to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend when Moses turned again into the camp his assistant Joshua the son of Nun a young man would not depart from the tent Joshua kind of has shown up a couple of times here this is kind of giving us a warm-up to the fact that when uh, God is going to, when Moses dies, leadership of the people is going to be handed over to Joshua. And uh, it's important for us to, to know here uh, that Joshua is, uh, along with Moses, has remained faithful to God. That they have not, have been, not been among the group of people who have rebelled against God. Moses met with God outside of the community here in, in this tent, which is a picture of, of something that, that happens as a result of sin. When we sin against God, it breaks our fellowship with God. Now, I'm not talking about losing, losing salvation that God has given you. I'm talking about interrupting the fellowship that we have with Him. Um, if, if you offend a friend... Uh, it doesn't mean that person is no longer your friend, that the friendship is scrapped, but it does mean it interrupts your fellowship with your friend. That sweetness of, of that friendship. 
And sin had interrupted the, in, the fellowship, the, the dwelling amongst that God had with His people. And, the, and this is evidenced by the fact that Moses is now meeting with God outside of the community. And the people seem to recognize what's going on because when Moses goes into the tent to meet with God, they're, they're standing in reverence, they're, they're worshiping um, when God shows up in the, in the pillar of cloud and, and um, there's a recognition of, I, I, of, of his sovereign position over them, which I think is directly tied to their understanding that, of how, how they've offended him and, and betrayed him and sinned against him. But God continues to, to have uh, communication with Moses. And, um, and so let's look at verse 12 and 13 here. Moses said to the Lord, See, you, you say to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. So Moses just is a, Speaking to God here and, and saying, you, you say you know me. Um, you say I've found favor with you. Um, so who are you sending with me? Uh, who's going with us? Which is, is, is another way of Moses saying, I'm not real keen on this idea of you sending a representative with us. We want you. Verse 13, now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. I think this is just a beautiful request from Moses here that Moses wants to know Yahweh even more. Moses knows Yahweh more than anyone ever has, it seems, at this point uh, in history. And yet, he's saying, I want to know you more. Show me your ways that I may know you. This is a wonderful prayer. This is a great, uh, uh, legitimate prayer to work into your daily way of thinking and praying. God, show me your ways that I may know you more. And this is his prayer, but he also reminds them, consider too that this nation still belongs to you. This people is still your people. In other words, God, don't abandon your people. Verse 14, and he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. So God says uh, he, he will go with them, although it seems here that, uh, that maybe he's implying or saying that uh, he's going to be with Moses and give him rest. Look, look what Moses says. If in your presence, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? This is the thing that sets them apart. It's not just that they serve a God, uh, not just that they worship a God, but that God dwells among His people. And Moses just pleads with God to continue to make His presence with His people. Verse 17, And the Lord 
said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. He keeps sort of upping the request here. You see Moses' hunger for God. His hunger to know Him. And I think Moses is also that there's, there's kind of a couple things going on here for Moses. Um, one is that Moses has a hunger to know Yahweh uh, himself. But I also think Moses, as a leader of, uh, as an appointed leader of, of Israel, has, uh, also feels a duty and a responsibility to know Yahweh, whom he's leading the people on, on his behalf that he may lead the people well. And Moses asked him, show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Now there are a few places in Scripture where there's uh, something, uh, uh, a, a phrase that is associated with seeing God. However, um, there, there are different ways in which we see God. The way that Moses is talking about seeing God here is to behold God's majesty and glory in full, to be able to just see Him for all that He is. There are other ways in which Scripture will speak to seeing God in that we, we have a, a, an understanding revealed to us of who he is. But in this context, Moses is just saying, I just want to see you as you are. I want to know you fully. And God says, nobody can handle that. Um, you, can't, you can't, in your corrupted state, uh, you cannot behold my glory and survive the encounter. Uh, like la- last week, we talked about the resurrection and we talked about uh, um, the perishable can't take on the imperishable. The corruptible can't take on the incorruptible. Um, we, we can't take on uh, uh, heaven and all that it is in the state that we are currently in. These corruptible bodies, um, this broken world that we live in, uh, those things will need to be put behind us for us to take in all the glory uh, that is uh, of God. Right now, we kind of see it through a bit of a veil. We witness God's glory. We witness all His goodness. But we have yet to plunge the depths of that. Although we will go deeper and deeper as each day goes by, there is yet way more to discover when we rid ourselves of the hindrances of this earth. Or when, rather, when God rids ourselves of that. There are six things in here that I think um, are revealed to us that are really important for us to grasp. 
One is that our sin breaks fellowship with God. When we sin, it interrupts our intimacy that we can experience with God. Our ability to know Him and hear from Him. Uh, It's one of the reasons that uh, husbands actually are encouraged, hey, uh, you want God to hear your prayers? Uh, Love your wife. If you mistreat your wife, uh, don't expect that God's going to be right on the horn here listening to everything you have to say. Now that's not to say that uh, God turns a totally deaf ear, but I think it, it, it ties to, to us the, the, the severity of uh, if we want to commune with God, then we need to be in the practice of walking in His ways. 1 John chapter 1, verse 6. I'd like you to turn with me to 1 John because we're going to actually... Uh, there'll be a few verses here that we look at in First John. First John chapter one, verse six. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So we might have the language of the truth. We might have the language of someone who walks with God. Yet if we do not obey His commands, we're kidding ourselves. We're lying to ourselves. Because we can't walk in darkness, we can't walk in disobedience and maintain fellowship with God. Those two things are contrary. And that's what John is saying here. In fact, uh, continue on there in chapter 2 of 1 John, verse 3-6. through says, and by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. This is what Jesus said. He said, if you love Me, you will obey My commands. That's what Jesus said. And John is echoing that. Verse 4, whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Now, John is not talking about uh, you know, that, uh, our struggle uh, with sin. John is talking about walking in habitual sin and, and not repenting of it. Not course correcting. So if you continue to walk in such a way and you, then you say you know Him, but you don't keep His commandments, uh, the truth is not in you. Verse 5, But whoever keeps His word in Him truly, the love of God is perfected by this we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says he abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. That's the evidence that we know Him and that we're walking with Him is that we keep His commandments. So our sin breaks our fellowship with God. Second thing is this. Full repentance, which means to a change of direction, often requires us to separate from the things that keep us tied to our sin. Just as the people in Exodus had to put away the jewelry that was tied and associated now with their rebellion against Him, so it is with our change of direction in our own life. There are often going to be things that God will rescue us out of, call us out of, Um, but then it's necessary for us then to leave that behind us. And and that that could be all sorts of things. 
Um, it, could be, it could be the music you listen to. Uh, it, it could be the places you go uh, to eat. Um, if God has rescued you out of addiction to alcohol, then uh, hanging out at the bar is probably a bad idea, right? Um, if, if God has rescued you out of pornography, then spending a lot of time at, late at night on your own on your computer is probably a really bad idea. Um, there, there are things in our life that when we... Um, when God rescues us out of it, we need to take a real hard look at what things do we need to cut loose and leave behind so that we no longer have that, ta- that thing tying us back to whatever it is that God has rescued us out of. Sometimes it's the people you hang out with, um, the friends that you keep, the, the TV that you watch, the media that you take in, social media. Whatever it is that there are going to be things that we need to give consideration to with, with God's help. God, what, what things right now are in my life that are tying me back to things that you have rescued me out of? And then be willing to say goodbye to it. Jesus talked about those who follow him putting their hands to the plow and not looking back. Um, he, when God rescued Lot and and uh, his family out of Sodom and Gomorrah, he told them, don't look back. And the implication was, and it's why Lot's wife uh, died in that, she looked back. And the implication was she looked back with a desire for the very thing that God had rescued her out of. Luke chapter 18. Um, you can turn there with me if you want. Luke chapter 18. There's a, an encounter that Jesus has with the young guy. Luke chapter 18, verse 18. We typically know him as the rich young ruler. It says, And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Um, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. See, Jesus knew what it was that tied this man's heart and kept it back from from God. It was his stuff. Verse 23, But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter goes on to say, what about us, Lord? We've left stuff behind. And Jesus says, don't worry. God has a reward for those who are all in with him, who forsake the stuff of earth for the sake of the kingdom of God. What Jesus is pointing out here to this rich young ruler was not that he was too wealthy, that he needed to spread it around a little bit. It was that his wealth should not be the thing that comes between him and God. And it had. 
And the evidence of that was that the rich young ruler could not go any further um, with Jesus here because he held his stuff in more esteem than he held Jesus. Sometimes there are things that need to be set aside. In fact, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, let us lay aside everything that hinders us so that we can run the race that God has before us here. We've been surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, there's a reason that, um, that you show up to a track meet, well, especially in Idaho, uh, track season is, is interesting uh, because uh, especially the first couple of meets, you can generally expect that it's at least going to threaten to snow if it's not actually snowing, right? Um, it's, you almost need to de-ice the track before, you, before the track meet starts around here. Well, you know, the athletes don't show up just in shorts and a t-shirt because it's so stinking cold, They'll have rain gear, coats, stocking hat, boots, um, wearing muck boots around the track. But you know, when it's time to compete, they take that stuff off. They put stuff on that allows them to compete and move freely. Um, This scripture is calling us to lay aside those things that hinder us. God has called us into this race and He wants us to run without hindrance to lay aside those things that tie us back to our sin that He has rescued us out of. The third thing that I want to look at is that life without God's presence leaves us empty, hopeless, and vulnerable. When the, people of, when the Israelites learned that God wasn't going to be among them anymore, He was going to send them on and not go with them, they were terrified. They said, in fact, Scripture says it was a disastrous word to them because they understood what that meant. It meant that they were going to be a people who were hopeless and vulnerable. And I will add to that, as I did here, that it, it's, there's an emptiness. We were created in the image of God, by God, for God. So to try to live our lives now without Him is to gut our very existence from who we actually are. It is... To, to rip the purpose right out of our created beings. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 13. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We were on the outside looking in. We were enemies of God. We were without hope. We were vulnerable. And we had emptiness as it relates to just uh, who we are as human beings and who we were created to be. Kind of stuff that we, people spend their whole life searching to, to satisfy those needs of, of purpose and, and, and fullness and protection. All kinds of stuff. 
things that destroy us uh, very directly, like substance abuse. Um, also, people. We seek it in other people. We seek it in our occupations. We seek it in our wealth. We, we try to substitute God with all of those things. And all of those things ultimately leave us empty and hopeless and vulnerable. God alone is the one who satisfies that, with, that need within us. Fourth thing is, God is faithful even when we are not. We see this evidenced in Exodus here when um, God's keeping His promise to His people. In fact, even uh, as we get further into the discussion and Moses pleads with God to, to, to dwell among them still, um, he, he says that He's going to continue to, to be with them. And it's as a reminder that God is faithful even when we are not. And praise God. God that He is. First John chapter uh, 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, God is ever faithful. And when we, as sinners, recognize our sin and we repent of that and seek His forgiveness, God continues to be faithful towards us. Even even when we abandon faithfulness to Him, uh, when we come back to Him, guess who's, guess who's there for us? Like, like the prodigal son coming back to the Father. We have a Father in heaven who is, who is ever wanting His children to walk in fellowship with Him and ever welcoming, welcoming them back um, when they are, 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 are get to a point where they're ready to repent of their sin and come back to Him. God is faithful when we are not. Verse 5, close relationship with God is not only possible, but God even desires it. We see, man, what a, what a powerful thing there said about Moses and the way he in, in, interacts with God. That he, Moses would interact with God face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Look at John chapter 15. As Jesus uh, spoke to his disciples, John chapter 15, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus makes a a real, real clear statement here that the desire of of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is to have fellowship with us. That that we share in their joy. That our joy is full and complete in them. Verse 12, This is My commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And what is Jesus preparing to do at this very point in John's Gospel? Lay down his life 
You are my friends if you do what I command you. Now, this is not manip- manipulative uh, uh, kind of love here that we're talking about. Like, I'll love you if you do this for me. That's not what Jesus is saying. He said the evidence of, my friend- of your friendship, the evidence of your love for me is that you walk in obedience to me. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another." Jesus gives an invitation. It is clear that that God wants to know us and be known by us. To walk in fellowship with us. And Jesus here even says to the disciples that He calls them friends. It's just kind of a similar language that gets used of Moses in the way that he speaks to Yahweh in Exodus. The Holy of Holies wants sinners through Christ to come to know Him. Even with such intimacy that we would say God is our friend. God is much more than just a friend. This is not a friend without reverence like a buddy, buddy, hey pal. Like we come to God in that sort of way, obviously but that we would have an intimacy with God where we would walk with Him and talk with Him as a friend. And the sixth thing, last thing is this. God's full glory, knowing Him fully, is beyond us until we get to heaven. The perishable and corrupted takes on the imperishable and the incorruptible. We talked about that last week. But we, we live in a state right now where we live in a broken world that's affected by sin, you and I still wrestle with sinful desires. And while we, God has made it possible for us to know Him, we are not yet in a place and a state where we may know Him completely. Um, Paul talks about 1 Corinthians chapter 13 as uh, that famous chapter of, of the love chapter, as we might call it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 Um, verse 12 he says for now we see in a mirror dimly but then face to face now i know in part then i shall know fully even as i have been fully known paul acknowledges that there's an understanding of god and who he is and all of his ways that that we can't fully grasp yet though we grasp more and more as we walk with him and his spirit teaches us along the way uh we can't fully take it all in right now. And later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul talks about the transition that has to happen for us to be in a place where we can take on, uh, to, to be able to witness the fuller glory of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. There's a time coming um, as, as Earl mentioned earlier, death is a reality for us in the sense that these bodies, they don't, they, they're just not going to last forever. 
there, there are really two types of death that Scripture speaks to. One is the death of the, of the flesh, the body. The other one is the death of the soul. That, that we uh, spend eternity apart from God in, in, in torment and punishment for our sin against Him. Um, there's one death that we have been, uh, well, really, um, both deaths we have been rescued from. Now, that is not to say that we won't physically die, but rather that we have been promised that our bodies are going to be resurrected. That, that we don't just terminate when we hit the grave. But that we spiritually and physically will continue to reside in His presence for eternity. The perishable has to take on the imperishable. And there's, when that day comes, you know we read Revelation and we, we read about when Christ returns and we read about the glories of heaven and we read about uh, some of the angels worshiping God and, and the, the created beings in heaven worshiping God. And, and it's really difficult for us to grasp. It's because uh, we're experiencing what Paul already said he understood and that is we're looking through a mirror dimly. We're just seeing glimpses of it and even not perfect glimpses at that. And we're trying to piece together what it's going to be like, but we can't quite comprehend it yet. And it's going to rock our world when we do. It's going to be so overwhelming to us when we behold the glory of God, when we get to eternity. Uh, it, I, I really think we're just going to be speechless. You know, we talk about, uh, I've wondered about this a lot, and I, you know, one day I'll know for sure, but um, you know, we talk about things like, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God this, and I'm going to ask this, and I'm going to ask that. Now, I don't know, maybe God's going to do a little Q&A with this. I don't know how that's going to work. Um, but I have a feeling that those questions are not going to be the first things on our mind when we reach heaven. I have a feeling that we're going to be so completely overwhelmed with His glory and, and His permeating love and, and just his mercy and grace, just uh, understanding that more fully, that, that any question we thought we had is going to so pale in comparison uh, to what we're now witnessing that uh, we may get around to it someday in eternity. I don't know. But I have a feeling it's going to get bumped way down on the list of things that we're concerned about. Just as... God walked with amongst his people. God dwells with us here and now. He has promised us his Holy Spirit that everyone who confesses him as Lord and Savior to receive his forgiveness will is promised the presence of his Spirit now with you. God's presence among men. God dwells. That's why Paul talks about our bodies being the temple of God. Not because they're anything special to look at, but because this is the place where God dwells among creation, is in and with His people through the Holy Spirit. But what we see dimly, we're going to take on more fully in just a little while. But while we're here, there's stuff for us to do, right? Let us throw aside any of those sinful reminders, any of those things that tie us to sin. Throw those aside so that we can run fully the race that God has called us to in Him. Let us represent Him well. 
And let us never make the mistake that the Israelites did and that, and that we're tempted to do from time to time to think that there's actually something better for us out there than God himself. It's a mistake Adam and Eve made in the garden. It's the mistake that the Israelites made over and over and over. It's the mistake that undoubtedly you and I have made over and over. That there was something better to be grasped than God himself. There's nothing better than that. And when we come to our senses, and maybe you're sitting here right now with this clarity like, yeah, I know. God, there's nothing better than you. And then Wednesday's going to come around and you're going to be going, man, I really like this whatever it is. And you start to you know, drift in that direction as if that thing is more important than God. But the clarity that God gives you right now, hang on to that. Write it down. Write yourself a little note. Tuck it somewhere where you're going to be reminded of it later this week when it's not so clear. Trust me, I have these moments too. I'm up here preaching and I'm like, yeah, it's exactly the way it is. And then tomorrow morning I'm going to be like, what was that? But the Holy Spirit is there to remind us of these truths. So set them before you and walk with Him. Seek to know God as your constant companion and friend. For He's the only one that's always with you and His love is always over you. His presence is, is overshadowing you and He will safely bring you through to the end. So trust in Him and cling to Him. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. We ask, Lord, if, uh, and I just pray over, over the church, Lord, if there's anyone here who is, who is trapped in a, in a habit of sin, um, whatever form that takes, whether it takes the form of substance, whether it takes the form of, um, uh, of something sexual, um, whether it takes the, the form of the material um, desiring of stuff, uh, or whether it's reputation, or whether it's another person, Lord, whatever it is, Lord, that uh, um, uh, is tied to, to anybody here who's in a, a habit of sin, Lord, I ask that you would free them from, from that. Lord, it's the very purpose you came to set the captives free, and Lord, I just pray for them now that by the blood of Christ you would set them free. That they would learn your ways, that they may know you more fully. To be captivated by your grace, to live, uh, the, to run the race that's been set before us, Lord. So let us all set those sinful habits aside, those things that bind us, tie us back to the sin that you have saved us out of. Lord, let us run free in you. Lord, for those who have, um, have held back from you, Lord, I, I just ask that you would expose the, that foolishness to them. The Lord, they will not find anything that will satisfy the emptiness and hopelessness and, and, and feeling of vulnerability uh, in their life apart from you. For the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but you have come to give us life abundant. Lord, I, we just pray this and thank you for all that you have done for us and ask that for your help in walking in your ways. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good night.
and then you look away and you realize you can't see anything. It's like, that, you know, it doesn't seem like uh, maybe that, you know, the moon doesn't have a glory of its own. It, it just reflects the glory of the sun. And even then, we can't even really take, take the moon and its glory in. Uh, it's the, re- the reflected glory of the sun. Uh, you know, when we move on into Exodus chapter 34, Moses is going to meet with God. And it says, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them uh, all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And, um, and when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. And uh, it says that Moses had to keep that veil over his face because people couldn't stand to look at him. Moses didn't have a glory of his own. Moses was just simply, he went and met with God and came back and still the glory of God was so reflected upon him that the people couldn't stand to look at him. So even, even though God said, Moses, I can't reveal to you my full glory, uh, it was still too much for people to look at just the lingering reflection of God's glory on Moses. Uh, the New Testament says that, uh, that the disciples were noted as people who had spent time with Jesus, who had been with Jesus. Let us be like those people. Uh, we don't need to behold the full glory of God just yet. Uh, there's more than enough glory to uh, uh, make His presence known in this place. And uh, God is clearly here with us. If you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, give it to Him today. Repent of your sin. Confess your sin to Him and ask His forgiveness. And let Him teach you a new way so that you may know Him. Because His desire is that you would know Him and that He would uh, know you and um, that you would begin to experience what it means when the Bible talks about us being friends with God. Lord, bless and keep you, church. Walk in His ways.